everybody, and I want to say a special hello to those of you who are watching this message via video at the Allison campus, and also those of you who may be watching via video on the internet. We are beginning a new message series today called Growing Up on the Journey of Jesus. You know, experiencing spiritual growth is part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. The call to be a Christian means that there is going to be the call to have spiritual growth. Once you start following Jesus, it's the beginning of a life of growth. That's the call. Just like when a child is born. I mean, growing is expected in the life of a child. Think about it. There are charts and there are scores and, and there are tracking ways of tracking a child's growth and their development at different ages and stages along the way. Now, just imagine, though, if a child stopped growing. If all of a sudden the scores started to level off, well, I think that there would be uh, swift action to find out what was going on and, uh, and to find out the problem. Well, the sad reality um, for some of us who have been born again, <laughs> there is very little evidence of change or growth in our lives. John Ortberg uh, told the story about Hank, and maybe some of you have heard this from his book, The Life You've Always Wanted. He talked about how this uh, gentleman named Hank, who attended church, he actually, he grew up in church all of his life. He had come every day of his life. And uh, Hank, Hank had started out as a young, cranky man, and uh, now he was an older, cranky man. And there was no evidence of change in Hank's life as he went to church every day. You see, Hank specialized in uh, cranial downsizing. He had the spiritual gift of criticism. And uh, Hank, you know, he was really good at um, making sure he didn't swell your head with any words of encouragement at all. So um, I can remember the story goes that a deacon had asked Hank, Hank, um, are you happy? And Hank said, well, yes, I'm happy. And the deacon said, well, tell your face then. Um, Hank was a man who had journeyed through, um, had sat under teachings within a church all of his life, and he had never experienced a change. And here's the surprising part and the thing that is really scary. Nobody was concerned. Nobody asked why. They didn't even expect it, perhaps. Well, this series is going to help take us through those, the steps and the areas of our spiritual lives so that we can experience growth that, and the change that God, he, he wants this for us. He desires this for all of us. So I'm going to start the series off with a question. All right, are you ready? You're ready. Say yes. Here's the question. Are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Are you a fan or are you a follower? Kyle Eidelman in his book, Not a Fan, asks this question, and I think it's a great question we all need to ask because there is a difference between being a fan and being a follower. And if you have your uh, smart devices with you, you can, I've put up a version poll because uh, we're talking about what would the benefits be of being a fan. And I've put that as the question, the poll question um, for this weekend up on version in the live event. Being a fan does have its benefits. Well, let's talk about them. You can be a spectator. You get to watch. You can cheer. You can wear the jersey. You know, you're in the stands. It's all good, right? You can be there. You just show up. You take your place in the stands and watch. Pretty simple. Being a fan, that's fun. 
But I think it's important to assess where we are at on our journey with Jesus. You know, whether you're just starting out or if you've been in church all of your life, just like Hank was. It's time to define our relationship with Jesus. You've heard about defining the relationship. Well, we're going to define the relationship, our relationship with Jesus um, this weekend. And are you a fan or are you a follower? That's the question. And some sort of diagnostic questions that we can ask, whether we are a fan or a follower, would be, are you an admirer or a lover of Jesus? You know, we can admire Jesus from afar and think, wow, that Jesus, isn't he some kind of man? I admire that guy. Boy, I really wish I could be more like him, but you know, I really think he's great. I like what he's done, love the miracles, love what he did on the cross, that's great. I have great admiration for Jesus. But you know, are we lovers, are we admirers, or lovers? Do we love Jesus? Do we look at him with a sense of gratitude that leads us to a deep sense of repentance, which is displayed in obedient living out of love and gratitude for what he's done for us? So are you an admirer or are you a lover of Jesus? Have you made a decision for Christ or a commitment to follow him? There is a difference. The call of faith requires more than just a mental choice and a verbal assent. The call of faith requires more than that. Jesus calls us to a life of commitment. It's more than just words of belief. It's got to be evidence of how that belief is actually lived out and displayed in our everyday lives. So did you make a decision or a commitment for Christ? Now, how about, do you know about defining your relationship? Asking another question, do you know about him? Or do you know him? There's a difference. A fan can know all about someone. They can give you their place of birth, where they grew up, where they live, what their interests are. A fan can know a lot about someone. Did you know, um, do you know Jesus though? Or do you just know about him? You see, the Pharisees knew a lot about God, but Jesus said that they honored God with their lips but their hearts were far from him. That's the difference. That's the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing him. We mustn't confuse being a follower of Jesus with how much knowledge we have of him. Knowing Jesus means you have an actual intimate relationship with him. Not only do you study the Bible so that you can gain knowledge of him, but you surrender your heart being a fully devoted follower. And when it comes to your spiritual growth, are you trying or training? That's a question. Um, you and I can say after the service here um, that we're all going to go out and we're all going to bench press 150 or 200 pounds. Now, I know there are some people likely who could do that, but most of us probably couldn't. And no amount of trying is going to uh, enable us to be able to do that. No amount of trying, no matter how hard we try, we're going to fail at that. You have to train. And it takes months. And when it comes to a growing faith, trying hard to be like Jesus is not going to be enough. Spiritual growth is more than about trying harder. It's about training. Learning to think, feel, and act like Jesus is as demanding as weight training, running a marathon, or playing the piano. It takes training. And the difference between being a fan or a follower is like the difference between playing around or playing to win. Have you ever been on a team where there is someone who's just 
playing around. They've signed up and on game day they run out into the field and there you all are. But they're just playing around. They don't get into their position. They don't take the shots. They're just there in the field. They're loping around. They don't take their position on the team seriously. They're not playing to win. So if we're going to move from being a fan to a follower of Jesus, it means that we're going to be actively engaged in our spiritual training and discipline. If we want to become like Christ and experience lasting life, it's not just going to happen. We can't say, I've decided to follow Jesus, I've made a decision, without making a commitment to what that means, to what it's going to take. The Apostle Paul helps us to see that when it comes to Jesus, we are called to be more than just a fan. We're called to get off the stands, and we're called to get into the race. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you have your uh, smart device, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, we're going to be reading. Paul writes, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself might be disqualified. Let me just give you some context here. You know, Paul is speaking to the Christians at Corinth, which was the site for the Isthmian Games, second only in prominence in, the ancient, in ancient Greece to the Olympic Games. Now, unlike the Olympic Games, which has actually a chance for three awards, right? You can get gold, silver, or bronze. With the Isthmian Games, there was only one prize, just one. And that only one person could win it. So this showed how hard one had to work to win that race. Now, athletes had to commit to a long time of intensive training and discipline in order to qualify for the Games. The prize for the winner was a pine garland. Or I've also read in, in, uh, in some commentaries, a wreath of celery, celery leaves. Pine or celery, it doesn't matter because they'd eventually wilt, wither, and die. That's not the point. The point is that Paul is saying, look how hard these athletes are training to win a prize that won't last. Paul is urging these Christians to be disciplined in their training as followers of Jesus to win the prize that will last forever the crown of righteousness. And he says he's not just shadow boxing or beating the air. And one translation says, I punish my body. There's this image of someone punching themselves so that they, they won't feel the pain when they get into the ring in the real fight. They're kind of desensitizing themselves to pain. Paul uses this analogy of how he had to live a disciplined spiritual life of sacrifice, what was required in order for the sake of the gospel. Wow, this sounds so hard, doesn't it? It sounds like a tough thing to do. You know, you mentioned the words discipline, um, self-control, punching, self-sacrifice. You're saying, but Pastor Carolyn, aren't we, aren't we supposed to enjoy life? You know, after all, YOLO, you only live once. YOLO. You only live once. You know, I smell a fan here. 
This sounds like fan speak. And for the Christian, this YOLO philosophy actually can excuse us from God's call to obedience that develops our character and transforms us into all that God desires for us to be. It's true. You do only live once. And God has given us one life to live. So for a Christian, this is a call for discipleship. A call to run the race as though we're in it to win it. So, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, he tried to instill this winning attitude in his football players when he said, winning is not everything, it is the only thing. Yes, this requires intentionality. It means we have a plan for winning on purpose. And there are two things that we need to do in order to win on purpose. We need to keep the end in mind, and we need to remember to train. Remember to train. So let's keep the end in mind. Let's talk about that first. Paul says to run as if you're going to win. You keep your eyes on the prize. Now, I don't know of many people who enter a race saying, gee, I sure hope I lose. Oh, I really hope, you know, that I don't even finish. That would be good. No, I don't know of anybody who enters the race to say that. Now, I just have a personal story. Um, Linda Heisey and I, she's our general manager of ministries here, um, we're running partners, and uh, we ran a marathon a few years back, um, and we had set our training goal. Now, others were training in order to finish, you know, in three hours or three and a half hours, some less, some more. Um, but for us, it was easy. We knew our goal. We wanted to run to complete the marathon. That's all we wanted to do. We wanted to finish it, and we'd get a medallion, and we'd have that sense of satisfaction for completing the race. Well, throughout those 18 weeks of training, we had to stay focused on the goal or we were going to give up. We had to imagine crossing that finish line. We had to imagine that moment um, when we would receive our prize. But you know, it's funny. I remember during the race, here we were. We were at the 40K mark. Now, a marathon is 42.2 kilometers, all right? Here we are at the 40K mark. And all of a sudden, I start to flounder. And I'm going, oh, I, I only two more kilometers to go. And I began to panic. You see, I couldn't visualize the finish line. I couldn't see it. And I remember saying to Linda, I can't see the line. I don't know where the finish line is. And she kept saying, come on, we're going to keep going here. To think I was ready to throw it all in because I couldn't see the end. Well, as followers of Jesus, we need to keep the end in mind. You know, why do you want to follow Jesus? It's got to be worth it because the journey of faith is not for the faint-hearted. Remember, narrow is the road. And like Paul said, you want to live in such a way so that you aren't disqualified. And not that you lose your salvation, but you want to avoid those choices that take your eyes off of the end goal. So what is our plan so that we can get to where we want to be? Living lives that are evidence that God is at work in your life. Jesus said, he came so, so that we may have life and have it to the fullest. Yes. The Bible says that Christ lives in us and he wants to live through us. So I believe that if we're followers of Jesus and not just fans, it will inform our attitudes and actions even today. How? 
Well, keeping the end in mind means we choose to do the right thing in life situations and then trust God's Spirit who lives within us to give us the power, the love, the faith, and the wisdom to do it. Because all of these things are available to us if we ask. If we ask. So what does keeping the end in mind look like in the context perhaps of your marriage? What are your goals for your marriage? What does God see as the goal for marriages? Is it to grow closer to him and to each other, to your spouse? If, there's your, if this is your desire, you need to put a plan in place in order to achieve that goal. Well, what does keeping the end in mind look like when it comes to your kids? I mean, what is your goal for your children? Do you want them to grow up to love God and to love others? If that's your goal, then what's your plan as a parent to get there? You need a plan if that's the end you have in mind. What does keeping the end in mind look like when it comes to your money? You know, if God calls us to a life of generosity, then you need to have a plan so that you can become generous with what God has given you. If that's your end in mind. What does keeping the end in mind mean when it comes to your sexuality even? You know, God calls his followers to live a life of sexual purity, whether you're married or single, whatever context and what that looks like. If that is the goal, how will you do that? You will need a plan. You will need a plan. And around relationships, what does God desire for you and I and how we relate to others? You know, if our goal is to have healthy relationships, we will need a plan in order for that to happen. We have to keep the end in mind, allowing the power of Christ to work in our lives so that we can become a better spouse. We become a better and engaged parent, a better friend, a better church member, a business person with integrity, someone who's concerned more about others than themselves, people who are quick to forgive and slow to anger, people who seek peace and pursue it. It's growing more in love, more generosity, more patience, more kindness, more faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Bible calls these things the fruit of the Spirit. And these are worthy outcomes and benefits that are evidence of someone who is becoming more and more like Christ. But not only do we need to, as we're running this race of faith, and if we're going to move from being a fan to a follower, not only do we need to keep the end in mind as we think of winning on purpose, but we're going to run this race of faith to win, we've got to remember to train. Now, like I said, Linda and I signed up for eight weeks of training oh my word in preparation for this 42.2 kilometer run now we had to commit to the training which gradually increased in time and length and endurance over the weeks in intensity now if we skipped a week and there were some times where she was either on vacation or I was on vacation we had to skip a week we really could feel it and we knew we had to build up our fitness level again but we had to commit to the plan now if we hadn't followed the plan and done the hills oh did we do hills we did hills in the middle of the summer with the humidity of you know like 35 degrees or plus we did hills, we did speed training, we did the long runs, and we wouldn't be able, if we hadn't have done that, we wouldn't have been able to complete the marathon at all. But it's funny, there were stories of people who decided at the last minute to run this marathon and only did two weeks of training, and I can tell you how it all ended. It ended quickly. 
<laughs> they weren't able to finish. And then um, I've heard stories about marathoners who began the race but cheated. And there's a story about this guy in Britain. His name was Rob Sloan. And uh, he completed 26.2 miles um, uh, after completing the 26.2-mile course in an impressive time of 2 hours and 51 minutes. I mean, 2 hours and 51 minutes. A marathon finish. That's impressive. But suspicions were raised, it says, by fellow runners bemused that they hadn't seen Sloan pass them since Sunday's race. Where's Sloan? After initially denying any wrongdoing, Sloan admitted to hopping on a bus at the 20-mile mark because he was feeling tired. Really? He then re-emerged from a wooded area of the course and picked up the bronze medal. Now, witnesses reported seeing him hide behind a tree. I mean, maybe that's what I should have done. <laughs> I grabbed a, a city transit bus and hid behind a tree until the first and second place runners were passed, and then he rejoined the race behind them. Wow. Training is key when you're in the race of faith. Training means dealing with the deep issues of the heart. Training means battling those things that we'd seek to disqualify us from the race. It means having a plan. It means being engaged and intentional when it comes to your faith in all areas of your life as you follow Christ. Training happens when you build into your life Bible reading and prayer and worship. Training happens when you join a small group and allow others to get to know you and you get to know others and all of a sudden you realize that you're not the only one who has struggles. In fact, your struggles are very similar to others and you, you wrestle with God's word and you grow together. And training happens when you become engaged in your church community through serving. You've heard the church is the laboratory for love. Well, you want to believe it is. If you want to have your, you know, ability to love and to forgive others, get on a team and serve alongside people who are just as broken and in need of love as you. Just like you. What does training look like then? When I'm faced with a difficult decision or a temptation, it means pausing. And it means praying and asking ourselves the best question ever. In light of my present circumstances and future hopes and dreams, is this a wise thing for me to do? What does training look like if my goal is to grow closer in my marriage? Grow closer to my spouse instead of growing apart? Well, it means being engaged and investing in our relationship. Investing in your relationship with your spouse by committing to make time for each other, by praying for one another and having a regular date night maybe and asking, oh, this is a real good one. How can I help you today? That's a really good question to ask your spouse. It includes also setting up boundaries and making decisions ahead of time that will protect your marriage and your relationships. It's deciding preemptively, what are you going to do? What does training look like if our goal is to have our children come to faith in Christ and love God and love others? Well, it means talking about God and making connections between faith and life at home. Faith at home is something that we as a church are committed to developing. We want to help parents find ways that as they go about their day-to-day -day lives, that they connect faith um, and, and they connect situations with God and God's plan for their life. And you know, we can train when it comes to our choices around sexuality. If we want to honor God's plan for sex and sexuality, 
which is meant to be expressed within the covenant of a marriage. It means avoiding situations that will put you at risk. You know, being preemptive and setting up boundaries that will support this commitment. And then trusting that God will help you to succeed. And what does training look like when it comes to our relationships? It means being preemptive and deciding in advance that you are going to forgive others who will hurt and offend you. Oh, we will get hurt and we will get offended. That is a guarantee. That's guaranteed. And we, oh, by the way, we will hurt others and we will offend others. That's a guarantee, either intentionally or unintentionally. But as followers of Jesus, we can decide even before the offense is committed what our response will be. We can make that choice now that we will forgive or we will ask for forgiveness. You know, winning on purpose means training with the goal of becoming more like Christ. But we're not there yet. Anybody there yet? No, I didn't think so. I didn't think anybody was there yet. And what can happen is we find ourselves along the, along the race, along the trail, tripping or falling down or getting injured or getting distracted and sidetracked. And that could lead us to discouragement or even worse, just wanting to quit altogether. But you know, growing up on this journey with Jesus, running this race is hard And it takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. That's why it's fruit and not minute rice. It takes a long time for fruit to grow when you think about it. But the Apostle Paul again gives us a great perspective. In Philippians 3, 12, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. So he's saying, I'm not there yet, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed for me. Persevere, press on. We're slow learners. We battle with sin and self, and that's hard to get rid of. We don't want to face the truth about ourselves. We know that the biggest part of growing means change, and oh, by the way, it means pain. It means pain for most of us. But remember the promise found in Philippians 1.6. I love this promise. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That is a promise we can claim today. God's not done yet. He's not going to give up. He who began a good work, he will complete it. Be encouraged and take heart. But you know, we only need to look at Jesus to get a real model of how the race was, is to be run, the race of faith. Jesus demonstrated how the race is to be run, and he wants us to persevere just as he did. You know, Christ himself endured his race to win joy and the victor's place of honor at the right hand of God. And we can take a look at this scripture in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on who? 
keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured for sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. Back to my marathon story. When I finally saw the finish line, we finally crashed through the quitting points. I was barely running at this point, and I felt like I just didn't have enough strength to even cross the line. But Linda and I had made a decision in advance that no matter what, we would cross the finish line together. And I remember at that moment, Linda taking my hand and saying, come on, and she pulled me across the line. And ironically, my time showed up one second faster than hers. <laughs> and we got the prize. We got the medal. Here it is. You know, Jesus himself ran the race that he calls us to run. And he runs the race with us. Jesus is on the track here calling us to run with him because he's the only one who can get us across that finish line. He's the only way. So are you a fan or are you a follower? The goal of the Christian life is to become like Christ so that when our race is over, we will realize that all that training was worth it as our faith becomes sight. And like the Apostle Paul, we can say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And then we will receive our eternal reward as we hear Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you that because of Jesus, And if we put our faith and trust in what he has done for us, we have the power to change. That is, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our lives. That, Father, by your power, we don't have to be stuck and be slaves to sin anymore. We can be alive and we can be free from sin and we can make choices and we can train and we can keep the end in mind as we're running this race. And Father, for many of us, it's so hard. And some of us feel like it's just not even worth it. But Father, remind and encourage any heart here this evening who has started the race and who has been living like a fan that Lord you would call them to be a follower. And that we would do the hard work with your help, that we would be intentional and even just engage in our faith and not be content to be like Hank and just stay the same, Lord. No, you offer us the power to change. You offer us to become more like Christ, which is the goal. So Lord, help us to be patient as you continue that work in us that you began and that you will finish, Lord. And we thank you for that promise. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.